Dr. Joel Lexon is back with us from Toronto's University Health Network, where he is an emergency physician. He's also a, an associate professor in the Institute of Health Policy Management at the University of Toronto. Dr. Lexon, welcome back, sir. It's a pleasure to have you with us again. Thanks, sir, Sterling. It's great to be back. Uh, just, just looking at some of your background material here, sir, and it talks about your research interest, and there's quite a list, including access to medicines, Dr. Lection. And this, this access to medicines business has been top of mind for how many million Canadians these past few days as we learn more and more about the uh, timeline associated with the arrival of coronavirus vaccine in our country. What do you make of the forecasts? Um, well, it's hard to know what's going to be happening. Um, I mean, first of all, I wonder why the Trudeau government waited until it seems just a week or so ago to unveil a program to deliver the vaccine. We knew one was coming. We didn't know exactly when, but we've known that a number of them were in the works since the springtime. Why did it take them so long to develop a strategy for how they were going to distribute the vaccine? Mm-hmm. So that's the first thing. Okay. Um, second thing is that, yes, they've appointed a retired general to coordinate the distribution, which is good. I mean, the military is probably good with logistics. Um But there are other aspects of the rollout that we haven't heard anything about. So there was a recent survey done of Canadians that said 16% were not going to take a vaccine and about 20% were unsure if they were going to take one. Um, What's the strategy going to be to deal with vaccine hesitancy? Yeah. Um, Because we need... In order to get to herd immunity, we need a large majority of the people um, in the country to be vaccinated. So how are we going to deal with that to convince people that getting a vaccine is the right thing to do? Can I stop you, Joe, um, Alexa, just, to, just, sure. to, just to, on the mathematics of it uh, in terms of herd immunity? Again, a concept we're all familiar with from 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 hearing the words as often as we do but you're just saying you're looking at a say a 70 30 split seven and and i'm rounding the numbers off again to make it easy if 70 percent of canadians doctor elections say yeah sure i'll take it go ahead right here and 30 percent say not a chance is 70 percent enough to create the herd immunity that we're after i don't think anybody knows that um, for sure, this vaccine, oh, this virus seems to be um, particularly good at infecting people. And it also depends on whether or not those um, those 30% who don't want a vaccine are spread out across the country or are they in isolated areas. Yeah. So if they're spread out across the country and there are a few here and a few there, it may not make any difference, but if we've got large communities where um, a lot of people aren't going to take the vaccine, then the virus may spread in those communities. Sure. Okay, so I'm sorry to interrupt, but you, I, I did want it because you, you, you mentioned the notion of herd immunity. And again, of course, that seems to be the ultimate, ultimate 
object of the vaccination strategy to get as many Canadians to opt in as possible, thereby creating simply a mathematical reality that says the population is essentially immune. Is there a magic number, Dr. Lection, that would satisfy even the most rigorous of people in the medical field that would satisfy, okay, we've hit 80% or 85%. Is there there a, 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 a true threshold of real immunity? Well, I'm not an expert in this area. Um, what I've been reading, though, says that we need to get to probably about 80 uh-huh. percent um, to stop the virus from from the spreading the way it has been. And you were talking also about the delayed notification to us in terms of the strategy for the distribution of vaccine, uh, some hesitancy. In, in, and, and you know that since uh, since we became aware of the fact that we're going to all need to be vaccinated, somebody at a desk somewhere has begun to map out a strategy. It's interesting that it's taken us this long to find out about it. What else do you make of these forecasts that have come out in the past few days with respect to Canadians' access to vaccine? Um, I think that overall, um, we're not doing too badly with access to vaccine. Um, I've been involved with some people in Australia, and they're not going to be getting vaccine until March. Um, So I think that the fact that we're talking about vaccine, um, although in a limited amount, in January is pretty good. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're not going to certainly not going to be vaccinating the entire population um, in the first quarter of 2021. Um, they're talking about three million doses of the vaccine, which means about since the vaccines are going to you're going to need two shots. About one and a half million Canadians um, will get that, um, and that is hopeful in terms of protecting the most vulnerable people in the population. Sure. Um, But there are other things about the, um, the rollout that we, um, we still don't know anything about. So how are we going to record who's got the vaccine? Who's had it? Are we going to give them a piece of paper, um, which can get lost? We have no electronic, system across Canada for recording who gets vaccines. Mm -hmm. Um, How are we going to um, follow up on safety of the vaccine? What's the strategy for monitoring people to make sure that there are no um, unrecognized safety issues that come up? Um, Haven't heard anything about that. How are we going to monitor how long you get immunity with the vaccine. Is uh-huh. it going to be, you're going to need it every year. You're going to need it every five years. Haven't heard anything about that. So there's still a number of unknowns with respect to the vaccine that I think that Canadians um, deserve to hear about. And finally, one of the biggest unknowns is um, who exactly is it going to protect? I mean, have they tested it on immunocompromised patient uh, people? Have they tested it on pregnant women? Mm-hmm. Have they tested it on people over the age of 80? Um, we really don't have any of these details. So far, all we've got, the information that we've got has been through press releases, which 
really isn't um, enough. Well, there's no question about that. The The government has uh, has uh, decided that uh, this is going to be dealt with by way of press releases. And so far, the media is basically reproducing press releases and not asking a lot of hard questions between them. Uh, and that, that having a lot to do with the sheer volume of press releases all of a sudden. Dr. Lection is an emergency physician, and he's also with the University Health Network in Toronto. And we're talking vaccines. And of course, Dr. Lection, you just heard the 630 News, sir. It's the lead story, not only here in Vancouver, but on everybody's newscast, and not just in, in North America. It's a worldwide thing. And, and, and the phenomenon that most of us are, are struggling, I know struggling's not a very good word, Joel, but the, the, they, all of a sudden we've got Pfizer, to use the British expression, with two jabs, and Moderna with one. I heard an American physician on CNN the other day, uh, he was asked point blank, so doctor, if someone came to you with, with, either, with both of these medications and, and offered offered you one, which one would you pick? And the doctor said, frankly, whichever one comes first, they're both equally good. Are you in agreement with that assessment? Well, I'm not an infectious disease specialist, um, but I, <clears throat> I think that which one is best would depend on who it was tested on. And again, we don't really have enough information to know. So were they all both tested on a wide range of people? In terms of age, were they both tested on people who have comorbidities like lung disease Mm -hmm. or were immunosuppressed? Were they any of them tested on pregnant women? Were any of them tested on children under the age of, say, 10? Um, We don't again, we really don't know that kind of information. So at this point, I'm not sure whether or not for in my particular case, one would be better than the other. Sure. And one would certainly be more convenient than the other now, Dr. Election, wouldn't it? If you get one jab and you get to walk away and don't think about it again, it's better than having to come back three weeks later. But that is a, certainly a mild inconvenience given the reality of COVID-19. Uh, I wonder, though, about you, you were talking about testing for this and testing for that in terms of the procedures that were undertaken in the vaccine tests. But I want to just step back and, and, and go after that word, test. Dr. Lection, because with all of the focus on vaccines that we've seen in the past few days, sir, we've almost completely ignored the the reality of testing. And I note, for example, there's a new Canadian company in New Brunswick, which this week was given authorization by Health Canada to go forward with a new rapid test, which will produce results in under two hours. How how important to the process of getting through COVID-19, Dr. Election, is ongoing testing. We need um, ongoing testing. I mean, vaccine is what we're waiting for, but the vaccine rollout is going to take at least nine months to get most most Canadians vaccinated. In the meantime, um, we need to continue with... um, the public health measures that we've got in place, sure. which includes wearing a mask indoors, social distancing, um, and good testing with rapid, getting results rapidly. So that doesn't mean within a week, it means within 24 hours, and then having um, contact tracing so that if people do test positive, we can follow up on their contact. 
And I noticed that a lot of provinces, um, in fact, most of them have ramped up their contact tracing capabilities. And here in British Columbia, for example, they're, they're hiring even more tracers uh, going forward. This is, this is all a smart response to the crisis from your perspective, right? It is. Um, but, you know, how many contact tracers are you going to be able to, to get as the vaccine as the number of cases increases, that means we need more and more contact tracers. So really, at this point, besides the contact tracing, the key is to stop the transmission. And stopping the transmission means um, wearing the mask indoors when you're around people mm-hmm. and staying away from staying at least two meters apart from people. Those are really the key things. Um, and then if you get the, if somebody gets the, gets infected, then the contract, the testing and the contact tracing comes in. But if we've got rates that we're seeing in, especially in places like Alberta, um, I don't know that you can get enough contact tracers um, to do the job properly because you need to trace people um, before they've before they've spread the disease to others, right. or else you're just chasing your tail. Mm-hmm. Does it surprise the Leger people? The Leger polling people just put out a new survey in the last uh, 48 hours, Dr. Election, that they took uh, with Canadians coast to coast in the last few days of November. And, they, and of course, focusing a lot on, on vaccines and concerns and anxieties around that. And part of the findings, or one of the findings, was uh, one-third of people surveyed said they will be happy to take the first vaccine. 45% said, no, if it's okay with you, we'll wait till the second batch comes out. Does that surprise you at all? No, it doesn't. I mean, people are without good data about the um, the safety and the efficacy of the vaccine. I'm not surprised that people are um, are waiting, are willing to wait for a while, especially if you're um, if you don't think that you're high risk. So, if you're somebody like me who's been spending most of the time indoors and just with my wife, um, I could theoretically wait for a vaccine for a number of months mm-hmm. um, because I'm, I'm at very low risk. And I might be one of those people that um, wants to see exactly how safe that vaccine is going to turn out to be. So we need the data um, from Health Canada as soon as it's available to reassure us about the um, the efficacy of the um, of of the vaccine. So, does it prevent people from um, just getting a mild infection, or does it prevent people from ending up in ICUs? Um, does it stop people from who from transmitting the disease? Mm-hmm. Um, and um, what are the, what, if any, are the um, side effects? Hopefully. Um, We'll, know, we'll get all that information from Health Canada, but the sooner the better. Absolutely. And final question to you, Dr. Lection. Uh, again, this is from the new numbers from the Leger people. Uh, point, point blank asking Canadians, are you afraid of getting COVID-19? 70% saying somewhat or very afraid, you bet. 30% not very or not afraid at all. Does that number surprise you? Not really. I mean, I think that number 
is a combination of a couple of things. So one is the people who um, don't think that COVID is real. Um, and we've seen demonstrations around the country of people who think that this is some kind of a conspiracy theory. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, again, there are the people who, um, who are taking precautions, rightly so, who um, are, are making sure that they're at very low risk of getting the disease. So the 30% is probably a mixture of those two groups. Indeed. Uh, our question for our listeners on, on the buzz line this morning is a straight up simple one. The, the, have you changed your Christmas plans this year? Will you even celebrate again? Back to the Leger thing. Three, three quarters of British Columbians, Dr. Election, say COVID has forced us to change Christmas plans. And about a third of them say we're not even going to celebrate much at all. How about an election household? Joel, are you going to have you changed your Christmas plans? It sounds like it's going to be pretty quiet. Well, we're Jewish. So um, we don't celebrate Christmas to begin with. In fact, um, it's a tradition for the Jewish and Muslim doctors in our emergency department to work the on Christmas Day. Christmas. Right. Yes. Well, good for you. It's a, it's a wonderful tradition. I've heard about it in other hospitals, and good for you. Dr. Election, thanks so much for taking some time to be with us again. Your, your voice, your calm voice, and, and rational approach to all of this is most uh, reassuring, and it's great to have you back with us again today. Thanks, Sterling. It's been a pleasure. Dr. Joe Election joining us from the University Health Network in Toronto, where he is an emergency physician. He is also an associate professor in the Institute of Health Policy, Management and Education at the University of Toronto. Joined on the line from Toronto by Michael Garrity. Mr. Garrity is the CEO of a company called Financet, and he's here to uh, begin a discussion that we're going to have a lot of in the weeks ahead. It's all about repositioning for what we hope hope will someday soon be the new normal. Michael Garrity, good morning and welcome. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. It's great to have you with us. First of all, Michael, tell us a little bit about your company. Tell us about Finance It, please, and then we'll dive into the recovery. (laughs) Yes, uh, well, Finance It is a point-of-sale lending company that uh, allows companies that are doing... um, home improvement uh, uh, today to be able to get a point of, of sale loan to uh, put their, 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 uh, uh, their um, purchase into a monthly payment that makes it easy for them to be able to purchase uh, things that, that they want. Mm-hmm. And uh, in the home improvement category, are some of those people able to, to avail themselves, Michael, of home improvement grants that are made available through certain provincial governments and programs that combined with uh, some cash gets the job done? Yeah, actually, in British Columbia, we have combined with the government to allow them to buy down the rate that a customer would otherwise pay for a loan and make it easy for them to be able to uh, purchase home improvements that are energy efficient uh, and make it uh, simple and, and, and easy. 
uh, for them to be able to do home improvement lending. I was going to say, you've got to be a very busy outfit these days, because if anything, since the lockup occurred back in March, we're discovering, uh, you're in Ontario, for example, my family in Ontario, uh, my brother's trying to put a deck on the back of his house down there near Peterborough, and he says, go ahead and find me a a piece of pressure-treated wood. Good luck with that, pal. Uh, (laughs) uh, Ontarians and Canadians everywhere have been sinking a lot of the travel budget that we didn't get to spend into home improvements. So this is right up your alley then, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the home has become, you know, something that everyone has spent a lot of time in during the, the health pandemic. And, and, and uh, we are seeing year over year improvements in our business that we've never seen before as a result of like people just you being at home more often and, and having more uh, disposable income to be able to spend uh, on things that, that matter to them and that are relevant to them. Interesting stuff. So let's take a look now, given the fact that you, your, uh, your company is in a position not only to be doing well already, but in a position to help other companies do well too. The operative word, the big buzz verb for 2020, Michael, of course, is pivot. How have you, with your very nimble financing company, been able to help other companies pivot in 2020? Yeah, I I mean, I think the biggest thing that came out of the COVID experience for the home improvement industry, which is really where we focus a lot of our attention, Mm -hmm. has been, uh, you know, safety and and allowing people into your home in a way that's safe and you know one of the benefits of the way that our company has been set up or the way that we have our service set up is to enable a connection to people without having to have human interaction so what do i mean by that i mean that our service offering payment plans to people, uh, you can initiate over the phone if you wanted to. You can literally say to somebody, give me your telephone number or your email address send you a link uh, into our payment plan that'll allow you to get approved before we ever actually come into the home uh, and give you an estimate for, for the job that we're doing. And, and that, that you know to your point that pivot uh, of 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 really thinking about your business differently and thinking about what what you know improves safety with the household allowing them to use our tool to be able to get a payment plan to somebody without actually having to physically show up to the house. Uh, that, that, that's been like a huge part of, of what we've done to enable and, and improve businesses this year. Interesting stuff. And a lot of Canadian businesses have had to follow suit, haven't they, Michael? Because that's the key here is being able to be useful during all of this and to be in a position yeah. to be useful. So you have to reposition your Yourself before you can be of any assistance to anyone else. And a lot of this, of course, is digital. The idea of, of yeah. contact free or minimal contact or no contact has really come to front of mind over the past many months. So digital transformation is, is a very big part of, of anybody's repositioning for, for, the, for what we hope will become the new normal. How critical going forward is a digital presence going Going to be, Michael? Yeah, I think it's going to be essential for businesses uh, to be able to have a digital presence because people are feeling fearful uh, about the connection that they have with with other people. That people are feeling 
you know, fearful to let people into their homes, to get out and, and to go to, to places that there are lots of people. Digital is essential for businesses as we head into 2021. Right. And how many of your customers, for example, that you've observed just during since the, the since the last eight months in lockdown and COVID realities in Canada, you're sitting there in, in, in the front center seat. How many uh, companies on your client base have had to really go through some pretty stern digital transformations in the last eight months? Yes, everyone. All of our clients have had to go through digital transformation in the last few months as they deal with the health pandemic, but but deal with it in an essential service. If your roof breaks or your uh, HVAC breaks, you don't have a choice. You have to have it replaced, but people are still worried about the the interaction that they'll have with a service provider in, in you know when that occurs so almost every business that we work with has had to pivot and think about how they do that better as we deal with the health pandemic. And I suppose not only think about how they do it better, but Michael also get the message out to their customers that when you call us, our technicians will show up at your place uh, very keenly following all of the COVID protocols. Indeed. Yeah, indeed. So that's messaging as much as anything else, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. You want to make sure that, you know, during this time that people are worried about health and and the safety of the home, that you're still able to provide services and do so in a way that, you know, uh, allows customers to understand that you are a provider of safe services during a time that people are concerned about this, for sure. No question about it. Michael Garrity is with us from Toronto. He is the CEO of Finance It. And it's all about uh, your company uh, makes financing for home improvements, uh, particularly uh, easier for a lot of consumers. But let's talk about those consumers because, Michael, their attitudes have changed over the past few months. You were talking about how businesses and clients that you work with across the country uh, assisting their customers to be able to purchase things in a timely fashion. Uh, They've had to pivot. They've had to install plexiglass and uh, buff up the website and get a curbside pickup. All sorts of arrangements have had to be made because of COVID. And that is also because the customer mindset and expectation level has completely changed as well. Would you agree? Of course. Yeah, of course. People are very mindful and focused on safety for themselves and their family, for sure. And as a result, what sort of advice are you able to gather from the way your customers have uh, uh, rearranged their businesses to make uh, to accommodate those customers? Yeah, well, as, as we were just saying before the break, you know, the 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 services that we provide uh, payment plans for people that are doing home improvement, uh, you know, uh, as a general rule, and whether those are home improvements that are aspirational, you wanted to fix something in your house or home improvements that are necessary because something has broken that, that, that area and arena is something that will continue during the pandemic, but the rules have changed for most consumers. For, for consumers, they are thinking about, hey, am I going to allow a tradesperson into my home? And, you know, both for the quoting part of the job as well as the implementation part of the job. And mm-hmm. what risks are there to my safety and my household safety as a result of doing that? And so what we have done with all, all the providers that are on our service, and we have 
10,000 providers that are on our service, we've talked to them about saying, hey, listen, try to minimize the number of interactions that you have with homeowners during this time. Mm -hmm. You don't have to go out immediately when they call you and do an assessment around the home. Ask them to use their phones to take video of of different parts of the house that might be affected, uh, you know, with with home improvement desires. So have them walk through their kitchen or their bathroom or outside and show themselves, you know, what that looks like and minimize the number of interactions. You can put a quote to somebody in a virtual world if you needed to. You can ask people to apply for financing uh, virtually. You can send them an invoice without actually having to physically deliver them, uh, you know, to the household. Sure. Find as many places as possible to minimize interactions and increase safety with the household. I think that's the biggest portion of where we advise people today. Yeah, I was watching a college football game last night on US TV, and they got ads for mortgages online. You go to such and yeah. such a website, and you go, we'll buy you a house, no problem. So with this <laughs> this new sort of attitude about uh, uh, online behavior and financing and all this stuff, this is where your company, Finance It, comes in. What sort yeah. of uh, changes, overall changes in consumer behavior have you picked up on over these past few months then, Michael? Yeah, I I mean, it's almost been the opposite of what you would expect. So we are in uh, an environment where there has been reduced expenditures for most households. You're just not going out as much. You're not spending as much money. But the opposite has occurred in home improvement. Home improvement is up about 50% over last year in terms of expenditures because people are spending more time at home. Yeah. They realize the value of the home by spending more time there. And that the, the you know, result for us is to see a, a radical increase in the number of people applying for financing associated with things that they're doing to improve the home. Interesting stuff. And of course, there's no problem with the financing aspect uh, in terms of uh, going through a financing approach rather than just not doing anything until there's a significant amount of cash to pay for it in a lump sum. Indeed. Yeah, we we convert everything that you want to do in the home into a simple monthly payment that starts next month. Uh Aha. And uh, as far as response, how's it been so far? Yeah, the response has been very positive from people. You know, we we play in the in the area of necessity to a certain degree, where people, you know, no one thinks about, oh, I'd really like to replace my roof next year, or I'd really like to replace my furnace next year. You know, that that isn't what you know what most people wake up and think about. It, you only think about it when it breaks. Yeah. And, but when it breaks, and when there's an issue, it's an urgent issue. It has to get fixed immediately, and it has to get fixed in a way. That's simple. And for us to be able to offer a way to get that done simply, uh, you know, starting tomorrow, get that fixed and do it on a simple and easy monthly payment. You know, the demand for the product that we have has been really high and and we're we're experiencing uh, a time where we're being appreciated by the customers that we that we deal with. Interesting stuff. It's all very simple. Uh, check it out on online. It's finance it, one word, financeit.io. The CEO of Finance It joining us from Toronto this morning, Michael Garrity. Thanks for this, Michael. Great to have you with us. We appreciate it very much. All right. Have a great day. Likewise, Michael Garrity, CEO of Finance It. 
it's a pleasure to welcome our next guest back to the program. He's uh, making his, I think, probably fourth or possibly even fifth return appearance on CKNW Weekend Mornings. He's the guy from Commissary Connect, the CEO. In fact, it's a pleasure to welcome Sarb Mund back to the show. Good morning, Sarb. Welcome back. Good morning, Sterling. How are you? I'm great, thanks. How are you at this uh, busy time of year at Commissary Connect? You know what? Doing surprisingly well. <laughs> We've just taken on a new site. Um, it's filling up nicely. It's, um, the thing, things are looking pretty good, actually. All right. Well, let's, just, let's back everything up here a little bit and remind our listeners not everyone is, is tuned in. Even though you've been with us a few times, not everyone has remembered the message, perhaps, Sarb. So take us back to 2012, because I believe that's when the Commissary Connect idea began to actually take hold. What is Commissary Connect and what do you do? Awesome. Okay, so Commissary Connect is a network of commercial kitchens. So uh, when, the, when the huge boom of food trucks came onto the market, every one of those food trucks needed a commercial kitchen to work out of our commissary. Mm-hmm. So uh, Vancouver Coastal Health voted directly into their plans. Uh, we were one of the first commissaries out at the time. Um, so we created a kitchen. So basically, so food trucks could go and prep someplace before they went out onto the street and sold their product. Okay. Uh, what we realized very quickly, though, that it wasn't just food trucks that needed these kitchens. It was anybody that was making any type of product. So anybody that would make a product that was going to be sold at a farmer's market or, you know, back-end restaurants would need extra kitchen spaces. That was kind of the market that we created. Uh, and then, of course, from there, we delved into the tech scene because, you know, to rent a commercial kitchen and pay for everything in there didn't make any sense. How could you just pay for the items that you needed, so the equipment that you needed in there, we built some technology, and that technology is now the platform on which um, the provincial foods uh, system is going to be built. So now let's uh, let's talk about real estate. Where did you start? Because you just you just said a few moments ago that you've opened up uh, a new expanded facility. So take us back to the first one. Sure. Okay. So the very first one is 401 Industrial Avenue. So near the main and terminal area, okay. of, uh, an industrial patch right there. Sure. Uh, we, we started the first one there. It's roughly about 4,000 square feet. Uh, and again, like I said, with our technology, we were able to get about 20 or 30 clients into that space. Everyone is scheduled, coming in at different times, mm-hmm. different pieces of equipment. Uh, and then from there, we started to realize very quickly that, you know, somebody making, you know, beautiful wedding cakes didn't want to be sitting next to someone like myself who was making butter chicken. So we then created a second one on that same street, uh, basically a bakery. So a lot of our light users are over there. Um, and then around that time, we created the third one, which is at 8811 Laurel Street, so South Vancouver. And that is the first provincial food hub. That's the first HACCP facility. And I think I spoke about that last time we were here. Um, and now that technology has expanded. And should I talk about the new one well sure yeah you, 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 you've kind of teased it already you better talk about it by now <laughs> okay well there's a huge transition going on right now but we are now partnered and joint ventured with the lazy gourmet which is a very well-established brand in the lower mainland sure. um and their old iconic building at 1605 west fifth is now a commissary connect also so that is starting to fill up really nicely. We have a, you know, a, a huge batch or a new batch of brand new entrepreneurs that are working out of that site. We have the lovely Susan Mendelson, mm-hmm. uh, the CEO of uh, Lazy Gourmet, who is you know, lending her expertise to help some of these companies get started. Um, it's, uh, yeah, everything's going really well. 
Well, it's interesting that you would be able to uh, present such a robust picture this morning, uh, Sarb, when, as we've talked about many times over the past several months, it's been a rough go for a lot in the restaurant business, and you and Commissary Connect have been a bit of a backstop for many restaurants who uh, otherwise would not have been able to to stay away to stay in business. So, uh, as as you go forward, and, and you are and you're gathering new uh, clientele because people who have had a business fold because of covid uh they're not the the restaurant business the hospitality industry uh it's 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 risky you and i both know this some businesses make it some don't but the ones that don't very rarely do you see someone just prostrate on the floor going well that's it i give up they get up real quickly dust themselves off and go right back at it for another round and those are the people that i would imagine to some extent are making use of commissary connect as an interim step even sarb yeah no you're very right i mean also what 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 the commissaries and these commercial kitchens do is i mean they give you that collective mindset right so you have all these entrepreneurs starting at the same time working off of each other also what we do is we don't allow any competing products at each of our sites uh-huh. so people are free to work they use off they use each other's social media so commissary connect social media account which is at commissary connect all we do is just promote our members at the site. So we really are that collective engine, helping everybody, you know, be positive, make sure that we can make the most of this situation, be able to pivot as quickly as possible because Commissary Connect handles all the back end, right? I mean, we did, of course, we, uh, we assisted with, with dropping rents or whatever we could do. We are, we are kind of that backstop, right? I mean, our job is to make sure that they keep doing well. If they're not doing well, we're not doing well. So, so that, that, is a, that is a huge part of it. I can't imagine how some of these poor restaurateurs are doing right now. Yeah. Um, um, I mean, of course, we know I mean, my wife and I were out last night. Um, it's quiet. It is quiet out there. And it's, it's difficult with all the social distancing and, and all the other restrictions that are in place right now. It is difficult to keep those lights on. Right. So, I mean, uh, having that back end so at least you can get the skip the dishes orders and the Uber Eats orders out and keep so keep that model going. I mean, that's essentially what we're starting to see. And that is why the, 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 the smaller entrepreneurs are doing a lot quicker. They're, 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 they're a little bit more flexible on how they can move and they're not tied into all this overhead. Yeah. And of course, uh, what will be a big uh, boost for a lot of those uh, little companies too is some kind of cap on the take that the uh, the third person providers, the Uber Eats and the DoorDashes and all of those get to take. Uh, if that can be capped, oh, yeah. if that can be capped at a slightly more realistic percentage, that's also going to make a difference. Sarb, not a lot of time left, but tell us more. Remind us about the Food Hub in South Vancouver. What's that all about? Oh, of course. Yeah. So the, 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 the Food Hub in South Vancouver, essentially what's happening now is the, the commissary connect model of having this technology make these sites as effective as possible, or as efficient as possible, and understanding who these clientele is and helping them grow. Um, we started working with the Ministry of Agriculture a good four or five years ago, and we pitched that concept to them. So the Commissary Connect concept, or the regional food hub concept, essentially, is instead of having an innovation center that is just, you know, a archaic place or a building where it's only used for food research, we said, why can't we make the whole province a research center? So essentially, there's regional food hubs across the province. Uh, the, the one in South Vancouver is the first, so the very first, uh, the Commissary Connect one is the first. Okay. They have them in Langley, they have it in Port Alberni, uh, Quinnell, Salmon Arm just got one, and they're all going to be networked in. So essentially what happens is these entrepreneurs that will start off at an incubator site, such as one of our entry-level kitchens, eventually has a product that they want to sell at a 
Costco or a Save-On Foods, this local product wants to be sold somewhere, mm-hmm. they won't have the level of food safety at a normal commissary. We need to level them up so they can start selling there. We put together a whole HACCP plan for them, and now their product is able to be sold and be able to be exported. So what we're starting to see some amazing companies come out of there, uh, utilizing all the local inputs that we have in the province, being able to do it sustainably, helping us gather some data on who these companies are, where they're buying their inputs from, and help these companies grow uh, before they want to go get their own site. They now have this million dollar multi-million dollar facility that they can work out of interesting stuff and all the information is at the website which is uh, commissaryconnect.com yes yes commissaryconnect and we also have a gift box that we're that we're selling this year i'm not sure whether it's all sold out uh, but all the proceeds go to the the food bank the greater vancouver food bank uh the boxes are a lovely item um for christmas Um, tons of amazing little goodies from all the Commissary Connect members. Right, and that's again at uh, commissaryconnect.com and yes, one of the three boxes is sold out, but there are still a couple of other options available. Sorry, before I let you go, the the buzz line question this morning is there's a new survey out saying 75% of BC people will change their holiday plans this year, so the question is, have you changed your Christmas plans this year? Will you even celebrate? Sorry, what's going on in your house? Oh, we're definitely celebrating, but we're going to keep it nice and quiet. Just, just the immediate family. We have two lovely little daughters, a four-year-old and a two-year-old. And typically, we're going over to grandpa's and you know grandma's houses on either side. Uh, and this year, we're just going to be able to hang out at home, just you know, home all day, which is always nice. It does get a little bit stressful around this time, and you know, we get to just chill out at home for once. So you're just going to dial it down a little bit, huh? Yes, we are. It's going to be. It's going to be just as memorable. It's going to be just as fun. But it's. Can be fewer people for sure. Indeed, Sarb. Thanks for this. I appreciate the uh, the good news story that you always bring when you uh, join us with the Commissary Connect updates. Appreciate the positive energy, and uh, we wish you and your family a lovely holiday season ahead. Thank you very much, Sterling. Absolute pleasure to be on your on your uh, show. There's Sarb Bund. He is the CEO of Commissary Connect. Carol and I are parents of a rescue dog named Gracie. She's a Wheaton Terrier that we got from the BCSPCA shelter a few years ago, and our life has just been, oh, so much better ever since we did. The reason I bring this up is because we are a rescue dog family, we are on the email list of the BCSPCA. So I saw this in my inbox a few days ago, and I thought to myself, you know, we should probably talk about this on the radio. This is a heck of a deal. It's the SPCA matching campaign. So here to tell us more is Eileen Drever, who is a senior officer with protection and stakeholder relations with the BCSPCA. Eileen, good morning and welcome. Good morning to Gracie's dad. <laughs> Thanks very much. It's uh, she's so she's just changed our lives so much for the better. We just love her to pieces. So tell us now. Uh, we we uh, do donate to the SPCA when we can, but this time of year is this an annual thing, Eileen, or is this a one-off? Tell us about the matching campaign, which is only a few days old. Yes, well, Giving Tuesday is an annual campaign. Right. Um, we had a donor come forward offering to match don- donations for up to $125,000. In addition to that, we had another few donors come, come forward, and we, they were prepared to match donations up to $150,000. As a result, the BCSPCA raised more than $240,000, and I can't thank the public enough. It brings a tear to my eye thinking that so many animals' lives 
are going to change because of people like yourself and others donating to the BCSPCA. Well, that's wonderful stuff. Now, is that is that a, a one-off for the actual Tuesday, or does it extend beyond that into the month of December going forward, Eileen? We, it will extend into the month of December. So if, if anybody is interested in, in donating, they can go onto our website, and uh, they can donate through our website. Okay. No, by and, the- and you know, actually, we do. We accept donations all year round, and unfortunately, a lot of people can't, especially during these trying times, can't afford to donate. And this is a terrible time for everybody, all charities included. Indeed. And um, if even if it's a case of donating some food, a, a wee bit of food, or or fostering, uh, donating their time, that would be amazing. SPCA.bc.ca is the official website, and there's lots of information on there lots of wonderful pictures of course you you pull at oh, the yeah. old heartstrings you work us over big time when we go on your website eileen uh, one of the features <laughs> yeah. one, one of the features that you have is something called adopt a kennel what's that about well you can actually adopt a kennel and by doing that making a donation we will put your name up on the kennel and you're helping each and every animal that passes through that kennel all year round so contact your local branch and then ask them about it and they can give you more information. But it's a phenomenal way to help animals in our shelters. Well, you know, I just I'm stepping back and looking at the big picture because, you know, we were talking about Christmas plans and how people have had to modify theirs this year wisely, I think. Yep. Uh, and, and one other byproduct of COVID-19, and Eileen, you're in the, you have a front row center seat for all of this, has mm-hmm. been the time that so many of us have found on our hands that we have decided to share with creatures. Adoptions at BCSPCA's province-wide are way up, and that must make you feel really good. It truly, truly does. I think we underestimate what a difference uh, uh, an animal can make in our lives. They're, They're part of the family, and you know, it's when we lose one, it's a huge void. But I'm so happy that people are willing to open their hearts and their homes and take in a four-legged or two-legged or whatever, um, bring them into their home, and it, it, it makes such a difference to us. Well, it's interesting. One of the callers, in fact, we just featured a few moments ago because we had some examples of people and how they've modified their Christmas arrangements this year. And one woman said, my friends are just too far away from where I live. We're not in in each other's bubbles. We're good friends, but we're not close enough physically. So I'm afraid I'm going to be spending my my Christmas at home with my cat. And I would imagine without the cat, Eileen, it would have been even worse. (laughs) Absolutely. Because, you know, it's kind of lonely. There are people out there who live in their own and they can't they can't get, uh, meet with people other individuals and their animals are everything to them absolutely, absolutely everything Indeed. i have two myself and it's just amazing you know some good can come out of some bad things and this pandemic has been really really bad for so many hundreds and thousands of people but the animals are, are benefiting. There's no question. Now, there's this is a question I wanted to ask you about because I've, I've asked veterinarians this on the air before and other representatives from the SPCA as well. As we lean towards Christmas and we start to make arrangements for presents for people in our lives that we care for, uh, it, it does come up in many families, oh, well, let's get her a kitten for Christmas or let's get him a puppy for Christmas. And unless that family and every member of that family is tuned into what 
what's about to happen, Christmas may not be the best time to bring a new baby animal into the household. What's your experience tell you, Eileen? Well, Christmas is a really stressful time, usually with people coming and going. It's not an ideal time to bring a new family member in. Um, Ideally, you buy a leash or you buy a a bed and wrap it up and put that under the tree and let the family adopt and make that connection. We can't really do that for other people, so they really need to connect with the animal. But there's, you know, again, leashes, collars, or, or... a stuffed toy um, explaining that that you wish to adopt for them, but uh, wait until the the holidays are over. Ah, smart move. And of course, that involves everyone in the decision then. I mean, mean, it's wonderful that all of a sudden this magical little creature appears and and the the children in the household are, are thrilled, to say the very least. But if you actually get involved in the selection process and all of that, that can be a true family uh, experience that when everyone is ready and kind of on the same page, uh, really, those memories last a lifetime, don't they? Oh, they truly do. And every, every animal leaves a paw print on our hearts. Um, it's, it's a hu- it makes a huge difference, and it has to be a family decision. A paw print on our hearts. My gosh, you just hit the ground running this morning, didn't you, Eileen? Sterling, <laughs> <laughs> I think you should be working for the BCSPCA. What a great spokesperson you are. Well, I do too, and I just I, I, I would like nothing better. Uh, from all of us down here at uh, NW, Eileen, to you and all the team at the BCSPCA, continue the great work. Uh, have a, t- a terrific holiday season, and thanks so much for doing this with us this morning. It's great to speak to you again. Thank, thank you so much. You take care. Happy holidays. Likewise, there's Eileen Drever, the Senior Protection Officer with the BCSPCA. And by the way, that website, terrific place, spca.bc.ca. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.